Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 through 25. Pray with us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the most earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip with you everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Thank you, Heidi, for reading. When you're getting ready to say goodbye, some things come to mind, and some things are really important to you. When you're getting ready to say goodbye to someone, you want to express to them often like what they mean to you, uh, how much you value them. And so you say things when you're getting ready to say goodbye or as you say goodbye. You'll say things, especially if you haven't seen them in a while, it was really good to be with you. Like, I, I feel like I got to know you. I feel like we, we got to spend time together. And those, those seasons, and, and, and you're trying to express, like, this was so good to be together. I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad there was time to do this. So you're expressing how much you value them. But also in the goodbyes, often there are wishes for how things will go with them. Often you express what you want for that person in a goodbye. So you might say something to the effect of like, I want you to have a good trip, or I hope you drive carefully, or you say, have a good semester, or you say, I know you're going to do great at this. You're trying to impart some words of just affirmation and encouragement. So there's this idea of expressing to a person what they mean to you and also what you want for them, what you want with them what you hope for them. Maybe you haven't thought about it much, but as each of the books end in the New Testament, especially the letters that are written, there are these words of goodbye. And they often follow somewhat of a similar pattern. So not all of them, but most of them. And with much of the same kind of personal words that that someone has in mind, there are words, and I want to give like two characteristics of these words at the end of Uh, the book of Hebrews, as as well as many of the other books of the New Testament. And those words are personal and prayerful. Again, you may just kind of have run through some of these books of the Bible, and as you get to the end, maybe you're kind of ready to be done with them. But if you take a moment and read the last few verses of most of the letters that are written in the New Testament, you'll find they express wishes that are personal and prayerful, I see both of these in the passage that Heidi read a moment ago. And I actually want us to dig a little bit in because I I believe if we dig into this goodbye that the writer of Hebrews is making, we'll see there is much fruit that God could produce in our lives by looking at that. First, there are aspects of the ending of Hebrews that are really personal, personal. And so you see this in a couple of places in the verses that were read a moment ago. You'll see personal dynamics in verse 18 and 19, as well as in verses 22 to 25. There are relational dynamics. 
If you look at that passage again in verse 18 and 19, I want you to see just firsthand these personal dynamics. We're not going to like dig deep into each one of these, but, but I want you to kind of live in this person who is writing a letter and saying goodbye. And so in verse 18 and verse 19, the writing, the writer of the letter is like urging, notice what he says, pray for us. So he wants the people that he's writing to, it shows a personal relationship in that he's asking for them to take his needs and the people that he is writing like the the sending place, could you take these needs and could you ask God for some things here? Even in verse 19, he says, I urge you the more earnestly to do this, to do what? To pray for us. And so there's, there's this personal relationship that I think we can learn from that is willing to ask others to pray. It was personal to him. Even in verse 18, the way the verse finishes, he also indicates another thing, kind of personal, putting his, his heart out there. He says, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. We desire to act honorably in all things. There's something that mattered as the author is like coming to a conclusion, writing his final words to say, like, I want you to think the best of me. So we don't know, we don't know all the background. We don't actually know a ton of the background of Hebrews, but you can pick up from the reading, could there have been tension? Could, could there be some doubt of it, maybe integrity and character? So this person is putting, putting himself out there saying, I, I want you to know whatever we've done, we've tried to act with a clear conscience. We've tried to act honorably in everything that we've done. I want you to give the benefit of the doubt as 1 Corinthians 3 language. I, I don't want you to think evil. I want you to believe all things. I want you to hope all things. I want you to believe the best about my motives, my intentions. It continues to be pretty personal. When he writes at the end of verse 19, do you see that? In order, so pray for us in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So there's a desire. And I think, I I don't know that I ever felt that desire more strongly than two years ago when we were going through, you know, uh, the quarantine and where we could not meet together and how difficult it was just not even to see each other on a regular basis, not even to be able to have just even, even the most minimal interactions where you at least take 10 seconds, 30 seconds and get caught up with where someone is and you build on that foundation of getting to see them. And that's, that is what's going on. So there's some personal desire of like, I want, I want to see you. I want our relationship to be restored and I, I want that to happen sooner You skip on down to verse 22 to 25, and you see him even more personal words here, where he says, I am appealing to you, brothers, which are with my word of exhortation. In other words, I I hope this letter that I've written you lands well, for I've written to you briefly. In other words, I've got a lot more I could say, but I hope what I have said, and I think every teacher that taught even a moment ago in Sunday Bible study feels some of that, like, I want this to land. I want... I hope you bear with, like, I, I've, I've taken you through a lot of things that, I, that were on my heart. I, I want you to listen to those. And then he says also in verse 23, he, he wants information on friends to be known. Again, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released. Released from where? Probably released from prison for living out his faith. And I, I want you to know he is free. And I hope both of us will be able to come and you'll be able to see both of us. And then at the end of verse 24, he wants greetings to be communicated. So the writer of Hebrews almost sees himself, I wonder if kind of a conduit of connection and communication here, greetings from, you know, from the people that he's writing to, greetings to all your leaders and all the saints which aren't 
like the really, really serious Christians. It's the, like to every believer, every, everyone who is trusting in Jesus, greetings to you all. Those who come from Italy also send you greetings. And then what does he want at the end in verse 25? But grace just to permeate everything, the undeserved, unearned favor of God. That would just permeate every single thing. I, I want that for you. I just want to draw, draw some conclusions from that. Maybe press in a little bit of the, the personal relationships that all this sits on. Again, we didn't spend a ton of time unpacking because, frankly, we don't, we don't have a definitive word on who the author is or who the recipients were. But you can just read between the lines and see such connections. I think, isn't that the community... Isn't that the type of relationships that we're called to? Isn't there a depth of relationship involved? Isn't this what it means to be a part of the the community of Jesus Christ? Isn't this what it means in, again, in 1 Corinthians where it says, we are members of one another. As we belong to Jesus, we belong to Jesus together. We have a, a sense of belonging. We have partnership or we have fellowship. We are, we are together. And so what Hebrews is reminding us, even as the letter is written, and we're just observing 2,000 years later from what was written, is that Christ meant for us, Jesus Christ meant for us to have a depth of relationship. I think the way older theologians and writers and pastors would say is, like there would be bonds of affection or bonds of love. And so a question I would ask is the relationship depth, is it actually growing for you? The care you have? Could you say the kinds of things as, I, I want you to pray for us. I want you to know about my intentions. I, I, I want you to be greeted. I, I want you to know how things are going. I want grace to be with. Is that growing? Has that grown in the last six months, 12 months? Are your relationships getting deeper or are they getting more shallow? How personal are the connections that you have within the body of Christ? I think there's a tension in trying to live out this series of like personal relationships. There's a tension I feel, actually feel at Ogletown specifically. And here's the tension that I really would love for us to lean into, which I I don't think we're ever going to be able to pick one of these or the other. But I think with this set of relationships, wouldn't it call us to go to really go increasingly deeper with a few people. You're not going to be able to know every single person in this room in a deep, deep way. You're just not. I mean, common sense should, should kind of dictate that. But could you, could you know a few people in a deep way where you would know who you would say, could you pray for me? And they know you so well. They've walked with you through the ups and the downs. They know your motivations. They know your intentions. They know where you're trying to have a clear conscience. They know where you're trying to do the right thing. Do you have those? Are you working on building those? Going increasingly deeper with a few people where you would not hesitate to say, pray for me. And someone would you would come to their mind when they thought, I need prayer about this. I'm going to ask this person to pray for me. Is that some goal that you're working toward? Where are you that personally connected? So here's part of the tension is, I want you, I desire, I desire for all of us to go deeper with a few people. 
But then I also think at Ogletown, there's constantly a lot of newer people here. And what if we also, as we go deeper with a few, we, we grow wider in our relationships, especially with new people, at least new to us. So this is, this is if, if this coming BBS is like any that we've had before, we're going to have the opportunity to welcome new people into our ministry, literally into our space, into our building. They're going to be new to us. We won't have met them. And someone will have extended an invitation. And so just as much as I want us to go deeper with a few, I wonder who they will meet. I wonder who that kid is. I wonder who will love them. I wonder who will love the parents and the grandparents that bring this child to Vacation Bible School. I wonder who, will, who already is praying and caring for the new people we will be introduced. This is what I, I also know. I know almost monthly, if not two or three times a month, I meet someone and I talk to them in the back, and I go, how did you hear about Ogletown? And they'll say, I moved to town, and I Googled churches in the area. And this is what, this is what I wonder. Who is going to meet that person? Who's going to welcome a person, maybe certainly new to us, but maybe new to, maybe new to this area? Maybe they moved to Delaware, and they don't have one single established relationship. They got a job here. And what happens when they walk in these doors? And they're new to us. Can we, yes, go deeper, but can we also grow wider in the, the new people? Will it, how long will it take? Will it take one month or three months or six months before that new person to us gets an invitation to share a meal together? Like, is that something that we care about? Is that something that matters to us? Could it be that God, in his wisdom, in his providence, arranged all these circumstances that in July of 2022, someone moves, someone comes into our community and they see something different or they experience God's love. You can't see God, but they can see you and you could play a role in that. How would that change your view of what Sunday morning is all about? How would that change your few minutes before a service? your few minutes after a service. I, I know in Hebrews 13, we're not reading about like, how should we think about coming into a church gathering or leaving a church gathering? But what I want you to see is like, there's a set of relationships that yeah, it takes time, it takes work. But is it not worth building those relationships? Because whether it's for you or whether it's for the person that will be, that you might not even know their name, but they'll be a friend to you in the coming months, You'll meet them, and your heart will be just knit together. What will be so critical is that that relationship, that community is thick, and it means something. It'll be so critical because, again, we don't have to, like, use too much of our imaginative skills to think. Some, some in our church family, health is going to fail, and it's going to get scary real quick. And where will be the community that sustains a diagnosis that is the worst news possible. Or what we also know is unfortunately there are those in our congregation and maybe those who will come to our church who their kids will begin to take steps away from Jesus and that will be the most painful thing that a parent ever deals with. And who's going to be with that person walking through that heartbreak? Or when the 
the dream, the ideal life is like just gets ripped away and you realize that's never going to happen. Who is going to be, who's going to be with you? Who, who are you going to stand with in those moments or when you turn into a caregiver overnight and it's unexpected and it's unwanted, but it's going to require of you something that, some strength and some courage and some help that you're going to need desperately. Or what about when anxiety gets triggered or depression just does not seem to lift? You see, I point to like personal relationships because there's nobody at Ogletown, there's no part of our community where we have magic wands that we can wave and everything automatically just gets easier and better. But I do know this, when some storm just kind of sets over your life, you are going to want brothers and sisters in Christ. They won't be able to do everything, but they will be able to remind you tangibly of how much God is present, how much God loves, and you'll need that. I do know you have a shepherding team that prays and cares and even though we can't make every connection, we can't do everything, there is a desire, I promise you. There is a desire. But I also know this is a church where lots of people share this burden. And I mean, frankly, we all have to share this burden. That we're all part of a community where it gets personal, where we know names, where we go deep with a few, and we welcome those who are new. It's a personal side of this greeting and this kind of closure, this goodbye at the end of a, le- uh, a letter that's written. But it's not only personal, it's prayerful. Look at verse 20. So Heidi read it a moment ago, but let's read it again. Uh, as rich and as like every word of this matters, we could read it a lot and never like get everything out of it. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So this is a prayer made... The God who did this, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do as well, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is where I see it's not just, this goodbye is not just personal, but it's also prayerful. And that there are prayer requests there. This isn't just like, a cheap close of the letter where you're just trying to get it ready to send. This is a prayer. And again, I think every word of this matters. And this prayer is asked through Jesus. Like, that's the request. So it, so it reminds us that the foundation of this prayer and really foundations of all prayer is Jesus. The foundation of Jesus, which isn't to diminish anything of the fact that we pray to the Father through the Spirit. But, but the foundation is Jesus. And I want you to see how, how that foundation works, the foundation of teaching that Hebrews has laid. Because as you see, like this prayer in our prayer, any prayer that we will make for each other is laid on the foundation of Jesus. You'll see in Hebrews 13, 20 that it's now made the God of peace. So that's kind of the first part of this foundation, this foundation of Jesus. That it is going to rest on reconciliation, that Through Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. We've been reconciled to each other. And one day, the whole world will be reconciled. The God of peace, who through Jesus reconciled us. We pray, knowing we've been reconciled to the Father, we have reconciliation. So part of the foundation that 
foundational reason we pray is because we have this reconciliation. But then it says, the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. And this is speaking of resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, of course people knew that God was powerful, but the resurrection of Jesus means that he has authority. So notice what it's saying. It's kind of laying prayer on the foundation of the fact that, yes, you are reconciled to God, and yes, Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead, and the fact that he is alive means according to Jesus in Matthew 28, all authority, all power is in his hand. So when you pray, you aren't praying to someone who, like, would love to do something, but they can't really help. You're praying to Jesus who has all authority in his hand. Hebrews will tell us, tell us he's at the right hand of God. He's exalted. He's reigning. He's ruling. He's in charge. He's taking care of the world. He is working. He is not dead. He's alive. And in light of that, he has authority to do something with our prayers. So again, we're talking about what prayer rests on. It rests on the foundation of reconciliation. It rests on the, prayer, on the foundation of the authority of Jesus. But it also rests on the, the care of Jesus. And we see that because our Lord Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. So one of the reasons why we pray, I mean, a foundational reason we pray, even comes like Psalm 23 prepares us for this. The Lord is my shepherd. But Jesus said something even even more than that, even more definitive than that. He didn't just say the Lord is our shepherd, but he says, I am the good shepherd. And so one of the reasons you can pray is not just that Jesus has authority, but also that he cares. Because if someone just has authority to do a lot of stuff, they could still be a ruthless dictator on their whim, could do it or not if they felt like it or if they didn't. But what about, what about the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd? What about, we sang a moment ago, uh, Larry let us in. We lean on those everlasting arms. We lean on the one who gives and gives and gives more grace. When we feel like we have exhausted our endurance and the day is half done, that's what we sung a moment ago. We have the care. Like that's what our prayers rest on, the foundation of this great shepherd of the sheep who cares for his flock. But then it also says the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, by his blood. We sing about the blood almost every Sunday. We're going to sing some song that takes us into the sacrifice of Jesus, sometimes even specifically about the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus in Hebrews, the blood is always meant to tell us that it opened the way. It was like the picture was blood was sprinkled on the altar in the old covenant, but that was just blood of animals. But when Jesus dies a violent, excruciating death, what it did is it opened the way. It like tore open the way for us to approach God. The sacrifice has been made. The blood, but it's not just that he shared his blood. That blood was attached to him and his covenant. His covenant, the binding promises that God made. In the bloody death of Jesus, there is a covenant, and a covenant is all about the binding promises that God would make. And what Scripture says is, we have a new covenant. We have a new covenant. Jesus, in dying on the cross and shedding his blood in sacrificing for us, like our prayers rest on a covenant he's made with us, binding promises, 
a new covenant that on the night he was betrayed, remember he took bread and those were signs, the, the bread and the juice were signs of the covenant that he was making, were brought into a set of promises. So this is why you can pray, because you've been brought into a covenant relationship with God. And not only is it just the covenant, but actually Hebrews 13 says your foundation rests on an eternal covenant. It's sacrificial blood, yes, and it's a covenant, the promises of God, yes, but it's also a permanent, it's an eternal covenant. In other words, there's permanence here. So the binding promises that God has made, when we go to pray, we pray to one who from the foundation of the world chose us in Christ, the God of peace who has reconciled, that's who we pray to. We also pray to the one who is so committed to our good, so committed to you and I that every breath we take, every step we would make in this life would be for God's honor, for his glory, for our good, is so committed that he is going to see us all the way through. There's something permanent about his committed. That's the foundation of our prayers. So if you look back on the last week or two or month or two, and you go, you know, I haven't prayed like I should. I don't, I'm, I'm really not interested in giving you a guilt trip or shaming you for how little or how much more you should have prayed. But I'm very, very interested in you knowing the foundation and every single word of that reconciliation and authority and care and sacrifice and promise and permanence is meant to actually stir something in our hearts to go, well, if this is what our prayer rests on, then would I, not, would I not ask God for things for my own life and, and for others? Do you see how it's like, yes, it's personal and it's prayerful. This is the context, and I want you to see how Jesus-focused that is. And, and, and frankly, I want to ask you a question, and that is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? I mean, do you know this reconciliation and his authority in your life and his care and his sacrifice and the prominence and the permanence that he, he commits to his people? Do you know that? Or, or is it something that you're not sure about? Do you know that he is God the Son, Jesus the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior? Hebrews would warn you about getting like really, really close, like knowing a lot about Jesus, but not giving your life to him, surrendering to him, trusting in him, relying on him. Hebrews would warn you, it's not enough just hear a lot because we can get dull of hearing. It matters that that's your decision, that you've trusted in Jesus Christ. It's the right time to like lean in and you've got questions about what all that means, like ask them. It's the right time to put yourself out there. You go like, I, I don't know. I, I don't talk about things that are like close to my heart. This is the time to like get clear on your relationship with Jesus. If our prayer sits on this, then we can begin to look at the requests and like, okay, what requests are there in, in Hebrews 13? What does that rest on? And actually you see those requests and, and they're beautiful requests. In verse 21, one thing that's being asked for is that the God of peace, who through Jesus does all this, that he would equip you. Like, that's the prayer of the writer of Hebrews. I think it's an amazing prayer. As I think about the people that I love, as I think about my own life, that he would equip you with everything good that you may do his will. The result, you do his will. 
And the idea here is that you and I in our own strength, we don't have everything it takes to do his will. So the prayer is like that the God of peace through Jesus would equip us, would fill that deficit. So you think like, I don't, I feel weak. I feel sinful. I feel up and down. I feel like I'm wavering. I, I don't feel like I have the words to say. I don't feel like I have the wisdom. You see yourself in a deficit. This prayer is meant to like cover that deficit. And if, it, if the prayer is answered, the deficit is made up and God gives you exactly what you really need. He equips you. He fills that deficit so that you can do his will. I would think most Christians in this room, that's what you want. That's what you want even this moment. Even if you're far from Jesus, far from where you you actually could be or you should be, you still want to do his will. You want to live for him. What if you feel inadequate on your own? You should. You should. And so this prayer goes to that inadequacy, goes to that deficiency. Equip us so that we can do your will. And then not only is this prayer, like part of it is, like give us the good things that we need, but also the prayer here is that God would go to work in us, right? That's working in us that which is pleasing in his sight according to verse 21, working in us. I love that because it reminds us God is going to go to work on us. Of course, you are going to stay you, but you're going to be in a transform you. You're going to be the you that God always designed for you to be, like surrender, like full of the Holy Spirit. God's going to work on you, and it'll take time, and some of it will be painful. Probably a lot of it will be painful, but God is going to work on you. But he actually is working in you, and I love that, that he is not just somehow managing this automatically from a distance, but God, through the Holy Spirit, does roll up his sleeves and comes into our life and works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So many examples of this. I, I don't want you to lose heart that, that what you read there, that prayer, like that can happen all across our congregation because I, I already see that happening. I see that happening in big, like life-forming, life-altering ways. Like in end of this month, the end of next month, we're going to be commissioning those that are making a, a multi-year commitment to go to all nations and share the gospel. I, I see that kind of commitment taking shape. When that, I, I had two or three conversations this week with people that are in various stages of foster care or adoption. As a matter of fact, even I got a letter just expressing gratitude to our congregation. And, and really, this is, this is what this is all about, equipping us to, to do His will. And so there are families that have prayed, like, Lord, if this is your will, we want to follow you in that. And so I got a letter. I'd like to share it with you from Mark and Jesse Stell, who are in our service. I said, we just wanted to express our gratitude to Ogletown for how wonderfully the body of Christ has jumped in to support us as we start our fostering journey. You brought meals and encouragement we're humbly excited to be part of what God is doing in the foster care community. And we're beyond thankful for a church like Ogletown who so willingly walks beside us. Thank you for your continued prayer, much love, and much gratitude. So this is what I see at Ogletown. There are people that make big, life-altering decisions, but then I also see, also see people doing this in a hundred smaller ways, like day-to-day ways. And, and yeah, it's not necessarily life-altering, but it's the person that finds a way to be 
generous and to live life open in, in their place of work, in a place of business, and they live open-handed and they, they pour into other people's lives. I talked to two of our new members this week who, who give volunteer a portion of their time to feed the homeless. I think of those moms and dads and teachers who like have made it or nearly made it through a school year and they've loved their kids and they've loved their students. I think of I think of students this year who, like this year was tough, but God equipped you with everything you needed to do his will. And you finished a year, and yeah, you were not perfect in that year, but you held on to your faith, and you walked with Jesus, and you were an example, and you were different. That's what this verse is talking about. I think of those that are dealing with grief and pain, and all you can pretty much do is fight against the despair and hopelessness because you've lost someone that mattered to you and you fight and you fight and you fight. And all you do, you're hanging in there and what God is doing is he's filling up the deficit. He is equipping you to do his will, to walk in ways that are pleasing in his sight. And your world has crumbled, but you're hanging in there. You're persevering, you're enduring. And what that means for the rest of the body of Christ is we see, we see faith in action and you are, you are pleasing in his sight even as you just one foot in front of the other and here in your part of us. God is equipping you. God is working in you. And it's pleasing in his sight. The point of it all, yeah, our, like the foundation of our request is Jesus and then we make our request but in the end, I mean the way Hebrews 13 says is this is all through Jesus to him be glory forever and ever. The glory of Jesus is always our goal. Not that our name would be great, but that his name and his renown, that would be what we're living for. You see, kind of packed in this end of Hebrews, these goodbyes, are all these words. They're both personal and prayerful. I think the whole book of Hebrews is taking a look at people who are weary and tired, maybe thinking about giving up, thinking about quitting, just worn down, and it's meant to infuse us with some confidence. Confidence not in ourselves, but confidence in, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to end today just with a few of these words of confidence that I think Hebrews can infuse us with today. Church, you can have confidence in how superior the work and love of Jesus is. All you might bring to the table are good intentions that may or may not be executed. But he brings more than good intentions. His love and his work are superior. I want to fill you with more confidence, and that is how permanent the new covenant is. You might be up and you might be down, but God is faithful, and the work of Jesus is settled on your behalf. It's permanent. I want you to be confident in how bold you can be in approaching the presence of God because you have a priest, Jesus Christ, who's mediating your request. You don't have to go to God timidly. You can come boldly. I want you to be confident of how fruitful your life can be because the Spirit is at work in you, how fruitful your life can be. You might think it'll amount to nothing, but I want you to be confident in how fruitful your life can be in loving God and in loving others. I want you to be confident in how complete you will be in the new heavens and the new earth. When it is great in this life, what you can know is there's something even better. 
And when it just is miserable in this life, when it all falls apart, what you can know is this is temporary. This is temporary. We are looking for another city whose builder and maker is God. And we can endure through the power of Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, Hebrews tells us goodbye in some pretty personal and prayerful ways. I'd like to pray for you now. Let me do that. Uh, Father, take your word here, which really feels like greetings and goodbyes, and I pray you would do something at Ogletown. You would do something that we would go more deeply in each other's lives, that we would be more welcoming to those who are new, that we would be more intentional in our prayers for each other. And we pray that you would do this so that in the end you would receive glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen.